break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 4th of November, 2021. Very happy to be with you on this Thursday. Plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about Ecuador and Guatemala, two governments allied to the United States, cracking down on social movements. We're going to be talking about Haiti, where the situation continues to be very dire. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to start with the ongoing uprising in Sudan. The uprising in Sudan in opposition to the week-long military coup is ongoing, as the military and various international forces scramble for a solution. In the wake of this past weekend's march of millions in the capital of Khartoum, the situation has remained one of resistance, with various forms of civil disobedience ongoing. Neighborhood marches and various roadways being blocked is the state of affairs all across the capital, and there are new calls for protests today in both the capital and the second largest city of Sudan as the military maintains a state of emergency. Doctors and other health professionals are maintaining an ongoing strike in military and police hospitals, refusing to work as long as those entities support the coup. In the state-run hospitals, doctors are on a limited strike, maintaining care in certain areas like dialysis, pediatric, and emergency care, as well as cardiac issues, but slowing down the general flow of operations. The Teachers' Committee has called on its members to continue to engage in civil disobedience and noted that the head of education for Khartoum State, which contains the capital and the country's second-largest city, Omdurman, was dismissed for refusing to cooperate with the coup regime. Trade unions representing bank employees are conducting rolling strikes for several days at a time and then returning to work to allow the operation of banks for people to withdraw money and to facilitate the dispersal of salaries. Also, businesses all across Sudan remain closed in protest of the coup. In Port Sudan, despite what seemed like a resolution of the blockade of oil export facilities there, the port remains blocked. Resistance committees in Port Sudan came out in opposition to the deal struck by leaders of the Beja ethnic group with coup leaders to end the blockade in Port Sudan, adding a new wrinkle to that element of the conflict, which is playing a major role by blocking the normal operations of one of the country's most critical industries. Those blocking the port say they won't leave until the coup is reversed. Amid all of this, the jockeying for power at the top continues. The military has been conducting talks with the deposed prime minister, claiming they want to bring him back, perhaps with expanded powers. But so far, at least, only if he accepts a cabinet that they find amenable. Various regional and international forces are also trying to come up with some agreement between the military and the former civilian wing of the government. The U.S., Saudi Arabia, the U.K., Norway, the U.N., and the U.A.E. have all been making statements against the coup and claiming to stand with the mass protest. South Sudan and Egypt are also playing significant mediation roles, and according to a UN official, the U.S. role is quote-unquote key. These moves are all designed to head off a deepening of the movement on the streets. As the Communist Party noted in a press statement today, quote, 
all of these initiatives and committees revolve around recycling the same military and civilian co-led transition, ignoring the actual change that the people seek. The success of these scenarios will prolong and exacerbate the state of tension caused by the coup and will not present a national project that addresses the underlying causes of the Sudanese crisis, end quote. Addressing the underlying causes of the crisis, of course, is exactly what the international community, the military, and even the civilian leadership dismissed by the coup does not want. As the communists, the resistance committees, and the most militant trade unions and professional associations have been noting, the civilian military condominium government was designed to make sure the mass movement of 2019 stayed within the boundaries of the U.S.-led regional status quo, which it did. This so-called new government maintained the massive investments in export-oriented agriculture by Gulf countries, opened the economy of Sudan up to the IMF, and also normalized relations with Israel. Of course, a movement seeking to address the underlying causes of not just the coup, but the social and economic conditions that have generated mass poverty and led to the mass movement in 2019 would undoubtedly look to break with the broader Western Gulf consensus. They also might withdraw troops from the Saudi-led war in Yemen, where Sudanese troops are a major part of the Saudi-UAE effort. So no doubt, the flurry of negotiations will continue. They may even come up with a deal between the coup leaders and the current leaders of the coup, but it's very unclear if that can take the wind out of the sails of the renewed energy on the streets. So for now, the struggle continues. The situation in Haiti continues to be dire as a fuel shortage has made all the particulars of daily life even more difficult than they had been. As the news service People's Dispatch details, quote, the acute scarcity of fuel has impacted various indispensable activities such as electricity, hospitals, ambulance centers, water distribution and communication, among other things. Haitians have been left with few transportation options and forced to close businesses. The entire country is facing power outages and hours of blackouts. Hospitals are on the verge of shutting down as generators run dry, risking the lives of hundreds of people. Ambulances are unable to operate. People are facing great difficulty in finding potable water. Cell phone towers are going without power, leaving parts of the country isolated. Additionally, the hunger crisis is growing more severe with each passing day. Now, one thing that's important to note here, almost all of these important basic services and the broader situation for the average person in Haiti were already in a state of near crisis before this fuel shortage. So you can imagine the intensity of the situation. Last week, a range of trade unions launched a three-day strike to protest the state of affairs, demanding urgent measures to resolve the crisis. And according to the Haitian Popular Press Agency, the strike shut down the country even further, but received no real response from government officials. In fact, the government is almost essentially non-functional. When the justice minister went to a gas import terminal in an attempt to at least look like they were promoting some sort of solution to these problems, he was in fact run off by armed actors. The fuel shortage is said to be linked to a blockade of fuel distribution terminals by the G9 Federation of Gangs. It's the largest group of gangs in Haiti, led by Jimmy Cherizé or Barbecue. Barbecue has made public statements that he would assure the delivery of gas if Prime Minister Ariel Henry resigns. This has been a very controversial issue because Barbecue has been presenting himself as a revolutionary. However, he did have a recent press conference calling on the U.S. and the U.N. to break with Henri, who certainly is their puppet saying that they need to break from the status quo, but implicitly he was calling on them to back him, really. At least that certainly was what was implicit in the idea that they should break with the existing status quo. Many popular organizations accuse Barbecue of actually not being a revolutionary, of really being tied to elements of the ruling party PHTK, and to be maneuvering to become a major part of a new ruling dispensation with the backing of international forces who have kept Haiti in a neo-colonial reality for decades. So one of the major issues that's on the table here is 
who's who and what's what. And certainly it seems that the sharpness of the current crisis will reveal once and for all where barbecue stands and where the future of Haiti may be going, whether or not it is a true break from the status quo or simply a rearranging of the deck chairs amongst elites. The government has been fairly paralyzed since it has come out that Prime Minister Ariel Henry, the handpicked leader of the U.S. government, communicated with the assassins of former president, de facto president, you should say, Jovenel Moise on the night of the assassination. And in fact, Prime Minister Henry has been unable to offer any other real reason for why he was on the phone with the assassins outside of the obvious, which is that he was involved. Increasingly, voices in the United States elite, especially the Washington Post, have been calling for a U.S. invasion and occupation of Haiti, a sadly frequent occurrence, which is usually accompanied by an even deeper intensification of pro-poverty policies. Ultimately, the people of Haiti are facing even deeper suffering and deprivation as elites fight for the favor of the Western nations who do everything possible to keep Haiti under their thumb. In both Guatemala and Ecuador, U.S.-backed right-wing governments have turned to emergency measures to impose policies that benefit the rich and powerful more than the broad masses of people. Ecuador is currently under a 60-day state of emergency, which gives President Guillermo Lasso significant powers. And in Guatemala, a state of siege has been imposed on one community, which also is allowing the government to severely crack down on protesters. The situation in Ecuador follows the mid-October murder of a young boy in a shootout between the police and a suspect. The state of emergency was declared allegedly to allow the government to deal with the crime of drug gangs and was followed by a flooding of the streets with troops. The government of Lasso, a far-right businessman, has been dealing with various crises since it took office last year. There have been numerous bloody prison riots and the country has continued to struggle with COVID-19, which hit Ecuador hard. Lasso has not proposed any major policies to address the challenging economic situation either. His agenda is promoting tax cuts for the rich, the repeal of various workers' rights measures, and the intensification of mining deals that have ravaged rural areas, an agenda that has already led to dire realities. As People's Dispatch News Service points out, out of Ecuador's approximately 18 million people, 5.7 million live in poverty, and 2.6 million are living in extreme poverty. UNICEF calculates that three out of every 10 children in Ecuador under the age of two suffer from chronic child malnutrition. In Guatemala's El Estor municipality, the government of Alejandro Giamatti has declared a state of siege and sent hundreds of police officers and troops into the region to enforce a ban on all protest after Mayan communities rose up against a mining project. The state of siege was declared to curtail peaceful protests by indigenous communities against a mining contract that was put into operation illegally without consultation from indigenous communities. The protests paralyzed the mining operation, which enraged the government, whose major policies include an aggressive expansion of mining projects. Indigenous and peasant communities have protested many of these projects for violating indigenous sovereignty, ravaging the natural environment, and encroaching on the livelihoods of peasants. The push for mining projects has played a major role in forcing people off the land and into caravans of migrants to the United States. It was also laid out earlier this year that the president took bribes to push this mining agenda as well, at least allegedly. In both Ecuador and Guatemala, the emergency decrees have given total impunity to security services. In Guatemala, this comes alongside the Giamatti government dismantling the process to declare justice for the genocide of indigenous peoples in the 70s and 80s, which has given impunity to serious human rights violators. In both cases, however, the U.S. has been fine with the destruction of people's lives through the right-wing economic policies and brutal use of security forces by both governments. Giamatti got a visit from Vice President Kamala Harris earlier this year, who was bearing more money for the country. 
Lasso got a visit from Secretary of State Antony Blinken the day after he declared the state of emergency, and Blinken openly endorsed that state of emergency. Ultimately, just more evidence that the whole freedom and democracy thing that the U.S. claims to be promoting around the world is all rhetoric and no action. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. 